The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we have come to the final week of the offseason. The NBA begins eight days from today. The real stuff, the ones that count, the fantasy games, the actual fantasy stuff for our full season fantasy players. That starts eight days from today. I cannot believe it. So excited. So excited. I'm really trying to contain myself. I'm trying to figure out how to approach this because it's a special time. There's a lot of things that are, in my opinion, more important this time of year and probably undercovered because they're not quite as as sexy. And I've fallen into that trap. I readily admit that. So here's what's going on. First of all, hello. I've got to give you the Uncle Leo treatment. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. This is, of course, a hoop ball and Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company presentation. HawaiianIsles.com is the website. Go check them out immediately. Also, hoopball, hoop-ball.com, the website. If you're not reading all of our stuff at hoopball, you really ought to be. At Hoopball Fantasy is the blurb feed on Twitter, so you can get all of the up-to-the-minute updates on player injuries, stats, pickups, drops, all that stuff is at Hoopball Fantasy. And I, of course, am on Twitter at Dan Bespris. D-A-N-B as in boy, E-S as in Sam, B as in boy, R-I-S as in Sam. I don't know. There might be a better way to try to look me up than just searching for the actual spelling of my name on Twitter. Uh, Try Googling... Oh, I don't know. Let's do this while we're actually doing the podcast. This will be a fun exercise. Uh, Let's search for Dan at Hoop Ball. Let's see what happens. Hey, it actually came up. All right, if you search for Dan at Hoop Ball, the word at, not the at symbol, Dan space A-T space Hoop space Ball, uh, you can actually get the spelling of my name that way. It doesn't come up with my Twitter feed. That's like seven or eight uh, things down the chart. But it's one way. And maybe I don't have to spell my name on the podcast anymore. So you're welcome for figuring that out uh, while talking to you. (laughs) Nicely done. Um, So that's how you can find me on Twitter. Dan at HoopBall. Search for Dan HoopBall on Google and then scroll down until you get to my Twitter feed. Or then you can copy and paste my last name and find me that way. Please do find me. Uh, As I've mentioned before, there's going to be a lot of social media stuff going on once the season gets started. Right now, it's uh, sort of big stuff, things that we've got going on, newsletters, things like that. Uh, But obviously, you'll you'll want to be following for... I post a lot of fantasy thoughts on Twitter once the season gets going. Order your league pass, folks. Do it quick. Especially if they've got some sort of deal going. Or maybe you're into the dark web stuff. You can do whatever you want on that front. Okay, here's the plan. Here's the plan, everybody. First of all, got into this stuff in a couple of minutes here, so that's a win for me. The plan is, by popular demand, I have changed the name back from the O-Fuchs to the D-Bombs. This is a joke. Those of you that have been following for a couple of years find mildly amusing and everybody else thinks is probably somewhat annoying. Basically, what those two acronyms stand for, the one that we brought into fruition last year is the Dan Bespris Old Man Squad, or the D-Bombs. 
And this year I decided I thought it'd be funny to change the name to the Old Farts Underdrafted Club, just because obviously if you say that out loud, it's a cuss word. Uh, but I'm going to change it back because I'm tired of uh, tiptoeing around the OFUC. So the D-bombs are coming back. Today, we are actually going to go through them. Not all of them, but we're going to start and we're going to work our way through by ADP. I have also changed... I have changed the criteria by which players can actually get into the D-bombs because last year it was really something I plucked out of the sky to kind of illustrate the fact that I think more often than not, the unsexiest guys to me are the sexiest ones. Oh yes, and I'm more than willing to use that terminology for it. I happen to think that the players that are just flying under the radar, either because they're old or their fantasy games are great for 9-cat, but they don't perform in the buzziest statistical categories, or maybe they're coming off a distressed season, so it's sort of a depressed asset. These things are what makes the D-bombs list. They don't necessarily have to be old guys. They're almost never going to be young guys, so it's a little bit redundant, actually, to call them the Dan Vespers Old Man Squad. It's really just the Dan Vespers Not Sexy Squad. The DBNSS. The DBNSS. The Dan Vespers Not Sexy Squad. So I don't need, like, a you've been in the NBA for seven years, blah, 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 because there are going to be some guys on this list that are a little bit younger not like freshly into the league, but, you know, three, four seasons at least, something like that. But you wouldn't call that person old. That person's probably 25 to 30 years old. But they've been in the NBA for three or four years or more already. And so for all intents and purposes, if you've been in the league that long, you're no longer a fresh new thing in the NBA, and so you can be considered a little bit of an old man. Some of these guys will be quite old. Some of them will be members of the a traditional old man squad, uh, but that's not the only criteria. What I'm looking for in this is, and I think this is sort of your all-encompassing definition of the Dan Vespers old man squad, the, the broad um umbrella is guys that have a not very sexy fantasy stat, or a not very sexy fantasy game, I guess I could say, so they're probably not scoring a ton of points. They're probably not grabbing, like, 15 rebounds a game or 8 or 9 assists or whatever. Not necessarily, just probably. And they've found their way to what I am deeming to be... And it's not a standard deviation. It's not an official mathematical checking point. But they are far enough below... Their ADP is far enough below what it should be that they become a value play. Okay, so these are guys, not sexy fantasy players with value. Not sexy, N-S-F-P-W-V. I can't even say that. I can't pronounce whatever that word was. So these are the Dan Vespers Old Man Squad or slash the not sexy fantasy players with value. And we're going to work our way down the list. My hope is that today we can get through most of the guys I have with ADPs inside the top 75, but I don't know if that's going to be the case. We're going to break these players down until we get through all of them, and then I'm going to post a comprehensive list, probably crudely photoshopped into some sort of basketball-related background, on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. 
I don't know how long this is going to take. It might be two days. It might be three. It might be the whole week. I doubt it's going to be the whole week, but we're going to get through it one way or another. We will continue to have guests this week on the podcast, but we're not going to worry about that right now, other than to mention that some of them could be true stars of the fantasy and non-fantasy world. So that should be a lot of fun as well. So we're going to start at the top, and I think this is a really interesting one because it's a player we've talked about a million times on this podcast. A million times. He was listed, and we talked about him last week, as the most, the single most polarizing name in the fantasy landscape. He is on more websites as a potential bust candidate than I can possibly name. Not the really big ones, by the way. Uh, well, a couple of the really big ones, I guess, because that's why his ADP is so low. But the the analysts that I've associated myself with, and, and you guys should as well, generally not as low on this guy. But the big box sites are, and so that's enough to keep his ADP nice and low. He is not really particularly well-suited for your head-to-head league, but some guys are just such an insane value that you kind of have to bite the bullet no matter what the format is. In Roto, he is going to be a beast. And that man is your friendly neighborhood state farm agent, Cliff Paul. He is not only the number one name on this list because he has the highest ADP, and we're working our way down that direction. His ADP, by the way, on Yahoo is 34.3. He's also... Number one on the list, because I think there might actually be the largest gap between ADP and final season value of anybody on the list. And that's not to say that he's going to have the largest numerical jump, because that's almost impossible when your ADP isn't like 125. Because inevitably, there's going to be somebody that has an ADP of a buck 25 who finishes at number 49. So that's almost 80 actual slots jumped. But from an actual value standpoint, and if you want to know how this is being calculated, just go to the Basketball Monster Player Raider. That's the simplest way to find these numbers. They have a value column that assigns the actual relevance of this player to a fantasy team based on how productive this player is in every statistical category in your league. In a 9-cat department, we've talked about this a million times as well, first-rounders, notably the top of the first round, are basically worth like two second rounders combined, which seems crazy, right? Because that's only a difference of like 12, maybe, if that slots of value. For instance, last year, Carl Anthony Towns played in 77 games. He had a value to your fantasy team of 0.89. He was, you know, the number three guy in totals last year. Uh, the number 13 guy in totals was Kemba Walker. He had a value to your team of 0.59, which is the same as the number 25 ranked guy. So the difference between Kemba Walker and Carl Anthony Towns last year was only 10 slots, but it was actually worth as much as an early third round pick. And if you were to continue to do that same assessment in the middle of a draft, like say number 50, Last year, by the way, number 50 last year on totals was P.J. Tucker in nine category leagues. There's a surprising note for you. And you were to go three-tenths of a value drop from number 50, you would have to go all the way to number 122. So the difference between number three and number 13, 10 slots, 
is the same as the difference between number 50 and number 122. 72 slots. So this is why I'm saying a guy like Chris Paul, to pivot back to our conversation for today, even though his ADP is 34.3, if he somehow finishes, say, oh, I don't know, let's see, 34 last year by totals has a value of 0.24. If he finishes around ahead of that at number 22, that would be 13 one-hundredths. If he finished around and a half of that above at something like, well, I guess that would be number 16 in a 12-team league, uh, that's a value of 0.52. So that's almost three-tenths. That's what we're talking about. That's, that's like getting a bonus third-round pick in the mix. But that's all hypothetical. It's time for Dan, me, speaking in the third person, to plant a flag in some of these guys. Chris Paul's ADP this year is 34.3. And I am planting my flag that he will play 64 basketball games at a early second round clip. I think his per game numbers when he's on the floor are going to be inside the top 15. And if you play 64 games at a top 15 clip, you are, ladies and gentlemen, a late second round value. And so I think you're talking about Chris Paul drafted in towards the end of the third round, that ADP, that finishes inside the second round. And as I've said before, if you can get a guy in every single round, besides the first, that outperforms by one round, you'll probably win your league. At least in the first five or six rounds. Later than that, you need a bigger jump. In fact, I'm going to go with kind of a hot take on today's podcast, and I'm going to say that Chris Paul finishes at number 20 by totals in this upcoming season. I think he plays 64 to 65 games, and he finishes at number 20 this year. Because I also believe that on a per-game basis, and this is, I know, we're going back a couple of years, and you're like, well, he's not that young anymore. Chris Paul's final season with the Clippers, 16-17, he was the number eight fantasy player on a per-game basis. He played 61 games that year and was number 25. So it doesn't take a lot. It does not take a lot for a guy posting potential first-round per-game value to get inside the second round. He was one game away from making it. And there were a lot of guys right in front of him that if they had missed one game, he would have jumped them. He could have been at number 20 if Hassan Whiteside, C.J. McCollum, Kyrie Irving, and Kemba Walker basically each played one fewer game, and he played like two more. So that's how close he was to being inside the top 20. So I'm going to go with a very wild and a woolly take and say Chris Paul is a top 20 guy this season. And I'm comfortable with the notion that I might be off by a third of a round. He might be number 24 or something like that. But again... Drafted at 34, if he finishes at 24, that's basically a round of value. You go from a third to a second round. And there is upside, because on this insane chance, which is out there, you can't say it's probable, given the fact that he is an older guy. I mean, he does definitely fit the old man squad definition of this discussion. But if he somehow gets to 66 basketball games this year, which doesn't feel like we're asking a lot, but he hasn't hit that point in four seasons. 
If he somehow gets to 66, mid-second round. If he somehow gets to 68 to 70 games, which again feels unlikely given his the wear and tear and the mileage, you're talking about almost a first-round pick at that point. There are not many guys you can draft in the third round that could end up as a first-round guy, and he is one of the very few. Feels good to get this discussion kicked off, doesn't it? Hmm. Well, we're off and running now. The next one on the list, and again, we're going by ADP, so this is not in any other... It's not by who I think is going to finish the highest. This is by where they're getting drafted. As it turns out, the Chris Paul one was also probably the guy in this bunch that I think finishes... Yeah, let's say the highest. Not by a ton, but that's what we're rolling with. The next name on the list at ADP of 44.8 currently on Yahoo is another old man. Not quite as old, but pretty old, and that is Mike Conley, the newest point guard of the Utah Jazz. Mike Conley, over his entire career, has been extremely underrated. Aside from one season where he just wasn't healthy at all. And that was uh, last year. Not this most recent one, the previous season. We've seen that Mike Conley can be a second fiddle. If that indeed happens to be the case with Donovan Mitchell. The other guys on that Utah team, yes, they're a little bit better better suited for scoring this year. With Boyan Bogdanovich instead of Derek Favors. Rudy Gobert is still the man in the middle, so that doesn't change much for this team. But otherwise, the path is certainly there for him to do stuff not that dissimilar than what he did, let's say, about three years ago in Memphis, when his role was not quite as large on the offensive side. There's no way we can expect him to take the 16 shots per game he did this most recent season, nor should we hope for that. This is an opportunity for Conley to lower his usage a little bit, and move back to more of a traditional point guard role, like what you saw probably in like 2014-15 Memphis, where he was taking about 12.5 shots per game. He was making about 1.5 three-pointers per game. That's probably That'll probably be a little bit higher just because of the way the NBA is moving. Still a very good foul shooter, particularly as his career has moved on. He's been much closer to 85 than 80 lately. I don't think there's any reason to think his assists will dip below five, so call that five to six in that range. going to be around three rebounds a game. Not many there. And steals will probably be between uh, one and one and a half, somewhere in there. Utah doesn't love gambling, and in his old age, he doesn't gamble all that much anymore either. So that puts him probably in the 15 to 16 point per game range. Let's call it 15 just to make life easy on ourselves. Two three-pointers. Uh, 85% free throw shooting, three boards, five and change assists, 1.2 steals, we'll call it, and probably only about 1.7 to 1.8 turnovers because he's become very efficient in the later part of his career. Mike Conley, again, is being drafted at 44.8. This one, to me, is a little bit less, I don't want to say fun, than Chris Paul, but there's a little bit less wiggle room where things could explode if Chris Paul plays 44 games this year. And and you have to take that into account. I just don't think it's going to happen. But it could. And that's a reason to be a little bit nervous. There aren't many reasons to be nervous on a Mike, Mike Conley play this season. He's just reliable. And he's also kind of a safer orchestrator 
for Utah. Now, Donovan Mitchell will play off the ball a little bit more this year. Yeah, he's obviously going to do a lot. But Conley was number 27 on a per-game basis last season with the Grizzlies. You know, he's not getting to that point. He's not going to be 27 on a per-game. And as a result of being so good on a per-game basis, the fact that he only played 70 games really didn't hurt him that much. That's pretty close now to the league average. He was number 26 by total, so it was neck and neck. Get around 70 games, your numbers are not going to fluctuate very much. I think he plays about that many games again, maybe a couple more even. Utah makes a push, and they just don't have a whole lot of stuff behind him in a very difficult West. If you shave off some of that offensive stuff and give him a few extra ball games under his belt, I think he goes... I think he does move back by about a round this year in value, but that only drops him from early second round to early third, which is still, as we've talked about before, a full round earlier than where he's being drafted near the end of the fourth. Drafted at 45. You're towards the end of the fourth round. If you finish in the early 30s, that's more towards end of third, right? Mid to late third, that's a round of value. So this is what I'm talking about with Conley. He's not as exciting a D-bombs guy as Chris Paul, but he also is a safer D-bombs guy than Chris Paul. He's a guy I think you could actually take if you had a pick late in the third or early in the fourth, even if that's earlier than he's technically going. He's not coming back to you at that point. And you could just be like, you know what, I can plug this guy in. I don't really have to worry about him. He's not going to blow anybody away. He's not going to be a top 20 guy this year or anything like that, but you know he's going to be a top 35 guy. And it's just coast along, giving you decent numbers, not hurting you. Very good in 9-cat. Percentages will probably be decent. Not great. Not a great field goal percent guy. But hey, maybe that comes up a tiny bit with some players around him that he can rely upon. Has not had that in Memphis for the last season and change. It doesn't matter is basically the, the short version of a lot of talking in circles on Conley. You take him. And then you just don't worry about it. You're going to look at your team at the end of the draft and you'll be like, ah, yeah, you know, whatever. I got Mike Conley there. But he's just going to plod along all season for you, giving you really good numbers. And you're going to wonder how the hell he finished inside the top 35 or right around that mark, the 35 mark, without ever blowing you away. The magic of old man. That's the magic of old man. Next guy on the list. This one's a little bit more fun, I think. Otto Porter, who has, believe it or not, the exact same ADP as Mike Conley at 44.8. There is, more like Chris Paul, a little bit more wiggle room, right, with Otto Porter, because he has, at times in his career, fought the injury bug. But I also don't know that it's quite as severe as our memories are leading us to believe. He only played in 56 games last year. Not good, I know. But the previous four seasons, which we would probably classify as a guy that was a little bit dinged up at times, missed a few games here and there with his hip, whatever, he was still somehow 77, 80, 75, and 74. That's working backwards four consecutive years. 74 games or higher. In all of them, 75 games or higher in three of them, 77 or higher in two. What if he plays 74 games this year? What does that mean for his overall numbers? Well, last season, 
Otto Porter with the Wizards averaged 12.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, 2 assists, 1.6 steals, and 0.5 blocks per game on 45.5% shooting and only 77% low-volume free-throw shooting. His career numbers, and the percentages is where I really want to highlight, 48% from the field. No large adjustment, by the way, in the stuff from downtown. He just didn't shoot the three-pointer as well with Washington last season. 80% at the free-throw line for his career, so he was below that number with Washington. He just wasn't happy with the Wizards getting buried behind guys that, well, frankly, he should have been able to take some more shots because of his efficiency. In 15 games with the Chicago Bulls, Porter averaged 17.5 points on 48% from the field, taking almost three additional shots per game, 2.6 three-pointers on 49% from downtown, which, by the way, unsustainable, but he has been over 40% a couple of times in his career, 91% at the free throw line, also probably unsustainable, but he's usually around 80, so uh, that'll be fine. Five and a half rebounds stayed the same, 2.7 assists, a, a tiny bit up. The turnovers were a little bit higher because he was going a little bit more buck wild, and then still close to two combined steals and blocks. I think what you can look for from Porter this year is on a Bulls team that is going to try to do more stuff. This is their year to sort of try to push into the conversation a little bit. I, I think the tank is done. You're going to see Zach Levine largely running the offense. Tomas Sadoransky, who can play off-ball. You'll either see him at the small forward or a very large point guard. If Chris Dunn is in there, heaven forbid they play him alongside Zach Levine. We'll find out, I guess. You're probably going to see a lot of Otto Porter fluctuating kind of between the three and the four. And then you'll have Wendell Carter Jr. and Lowry Markkinen soaking up a lot of the front court minutes with Thad Young hanging out kind of in the wings. So what's the fear here with Porter? What's the fear? Uh, the fear is minimal. There's 28 to 30 minutes easy, and then more than that if things are going well. Simple enough, right? Like, think about how this is all going to shake out. The, the issues on this team is that they have like nine point guards. So... Uh, how much is Sadoransky going to play and where precisely? I don't think he's pushing Otto Porter off the floor. I think Porter sees every backup power forward minute that, I mean, well, I guess you, see, you talk about Thad Young. Where does he fit in? He's getting his 30 minutes. He's starting. He's going to start. It comes down to who's guarding who. That's the better way to describe this. Not about exactly where the minutes are taking place. Like, is Tomas Sadoransky when he's on the floor? Is he the small forward or the point guard? Doesn't really matter, because Zach Levine's going to probably orchestrate the offense. Chris Dunn, his minutes are going to shave. Uh, and the other point guards are going to be likely pushed out. So, yeah, 28 to 32 minutes for Otto Porter is a pretty easy guesstimate with this guy. I, I don't think that's going anywhere. It's not a reason for concern. Your only reason for concern is, do the injuries creep back up again? And I don't care. I'm not worried about that because his other stuff is just so damn good that you have to go for it. He's going to do more on this team. He feels more comfortable, I think, with these younger guys, not trying to shove his way past John Wall and Bradley Beal. And even if his volume isn't that high, it's high enough because, and this is where we get to the other part of our discussion, the floor for Otto Porter he only took 11.5 shots per game two seasons back in Washington, 
Averaged almost 15, six and a half, almost two three-pointers, two combined defensive stats, only one turnover on 50% from the field and 83% from the line. He was the number 20 fantasy player on a per-game basis in that season. That's the 17-18 campaign. He played 77 games that year, which meant he was number 15 by totals two seasons ago. This guy is being drafted at 44.8. He, to me, is an easy top 30 target. So I actually think that he's getting drafted at the same point as Mike Conley. I'd probably rather have Porter in a vacuum. Now, obviously, if you need a point guard, you lean that way because point guards have been getting scooped up pretty quick this season. Uh, But I think Otto Porter actually has the higher ceiling between those two guys. At least in nine cat. He's younger, too. So I think easy top 30 with, as we just talked about, you know, he's gotten, he was number 15. I'll say it again. 31 minutes a game. He was number 15 two seasons ago. And he's still in his prime. 11 and a half shots per game. That's really all it takes to get him inside the second round. It's pretty remarkable, right? If he did what he did with Chicago over an entire season last year, he'd be a second round guy. Almost a first round guy. Just with the turnovers, we need to come back down a tiny bit. Pretty amazing stuff for a guy getting drafted near the end of the fourth round. This comes back to that same discussion we just had on Chris Paul. How many guys can you draft in the third, fourth, fifth round where you're like, well, this guy's actually been a second round or first round guy before. Chris Paul's done it. Conley's done it. Otto Porter's done it. And yet, they just keep falling. I've said on some podcasts, and I said, and I usually ask a guest, am I crazy to draft a bunch of guys with fourth-round ADPs, or fifth-round ADPs even, in the third, fourth, and fifth? Basically saying, I'm going to ignore guys with ADPs between 25 and 35, and in the third round, I'm going to take someone with an ADP in the 40s, and in the fourth round, I'm going to take someone with an ADP in the 40s, and in the fifth round, I'm going to take somebody with an ADP in the 50s. Uh, and they usually say, yeah, you're a little bit crazy because there's some guys kind of intermingled in there where they're not as old, but they do still have a ton of value. And, and those people do have points, you know, like uh, John Collins at 31, Zion at 30, Mitchell Robinson near 30. Yeah. These guys are interesting as well. They're not old man squad guys. So yeah, I mean, if I have a pick in that spot, I'm probably going to grab those dudes. But some of that is because I think you're, you're also weighing what are the odds that someone's going to get back to me at that point? Like you don't have to take Otto Porter at 29, But you do, if you want Mitchell Robinson, have to take him at 29. He's not getting back to you. Whatever that would be. You're you're the uh, fifth pick of the third round. So what is that? The seventh or eighth pick coming back in the fourth. So that's like 43, 44, something in that range. Yeah, that guy's not getting back to you. Uh, But as we just said, 44, that's exactly where Otto Porter's going. So even if I thought Otto Porter might finish at the same spot as Robinson or Zion or whoever we're talking about here. This is hypothetical now. You have to take the guys with a higher ADP because they don't get back to you. And you roll the dice. You take the guy with a higher ADP, the earlier ADP, hope that you can then get your other guy coming back because if you do it the other way, there's no chance you get both guys. Different side strategy here on draft day. Quick, I want to take a brief moment here to mention our buddies over at mybookie.ag continued partners with us here on Fantasy NBA Today. And they will be 
for uh, in perpetuity because my money's over there. So uh, mybookie.ag, I suggest you guys do the same. They actually care. I would not be telling you guys to bet with mybookie.ag if they weren't the best place to do so. If you're going to bet football, do it there. If you're going to bet basketball this season, do it with mybookie.ag. You can bet a little, you can bet a lot, you can do a parlay, you can do in-game wagering, you can bet on fantasy numbers. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit with promo code TODAY, T-O-D-A-Y. Same one we've been running for the last couple of weeks. TODAY, T-O-D-A-Y is the promo code. Go to MyBookie.ag, open your account, and they will match your first deposit up to $1,000. MyBookie.ag, you play, you win, and you get paid. We've only covered three names so far, but this is kind of how I wanted to do it. I really wanted to give a full, in-depth explanation of my favorite old man value guys, the not-sexy value plays on the Dan Vespers list. And another one coming from this very same chunk of the draft, 44.9 is the ADP on this dude. I mean, we're really bunched up here. Conley was 44.8. Otto Porter was 44.8. Clint Capella is 44.9. This one is a is a real mind-bender. Clint Capella, I, I don't know that I necessarily need to remind everybody of this, Clint Capella played in only 67 games last year and was still number 29. So the only explanation here, and there, well, there's two, the only two explanations here are that people are, one, completely terrified of Russell Westbrook taking two of his rebounds away every night, and two, saw him in the playoffs and thought, this guy stinks, to quote, uh, what was that? I think that was Bob Barker in Happy Gilmore. Throws his putter in the air. This guy stinks. Uh, yeah, he got exposed in the playoffs because... Uh, teams went small and ran him off the floor. But guess what? The regular season is what we play fantasy with. He's going to be on the floor. He averaged 33 minutes a game last season. They have no one else at center. Sorry, Nene, you don't count. He's going to have to play because some teams actually have bigger dudes on the floor. And you can't only take threes. You got to have someone that can actually go over the competition a little bit. James Harden is around the competition. He's very crafty, but he ain't dunking on you. Russell Westbrook, he can go through you and throw it down every once in a while. But what about when they collapse? I actually like Clint Capella this season with the Russell Westbrook edition. Yes, I'm not a huge fan of the fact that he's a rebound uh, thief, and we know that's going to be the case. So He's not going to average 12.5 rebounds a game this season. Let's, let's get aggressive with our distrust of Capella's rebounding and adjust him down from 12 and a half all the way to 10. Let's go worst case scenario here. Let's say barely squeaks by a double-double. The other side of this argument is he's never going to be on the floor without someone that can get him a lob. He shot 65% from the floor last year on only 11 shots per game. There is a weird and insane universe where that number could actually get better. He's never going to have to take a bad look. His number of shots, by the way, has increased in every single season of his career. This is going to be his sixth year, by the way. You guys might... I know, that surprised me a little bit. Uh, so he, he does sort of qualify for the veterans portion here. Last season, over his career, 
two and a half shots per game, 5.2, 8.7, 9.1, and then this most recent year, 11 shots per game. His free throw shooting actually got a lot better last year. Went from 56 to 64%. I hope that that holds, and I'm going to trust that it might. The blocks came down from 1.9 to 1.5. Let's just say those basically hold steady. It's a little bit of a disappointment with the blocks coming down, but let's say they hold steady. Steals are always fine because he's sort of a long dude. Uh, and the rebounds, let's say they go back down you know, where they were this season before. He's still going to, I think, see plenty of minutes. You know, center P.J. Tucker is not going to happen a ton, and center Tyson Chandler simply can't happen a ton because he's 900 years old. So Capella's job is pretty damn safe, despite all the other weird stuff going on with this team. Tyson Chandler just, he's, you know, he'll step in and get a board every once in a while, but he's just not going to take that gig. It's not going to happen. Neither is Kenneth Fareed. So Capella's playing his 28 to 30-something minutes per game. We've gotten aggressive with our demerits for him. Remember, though, last year in with this larger role, he was number 23 on a per-game value. 23 per game. So he's actually inside the second round. And then we mentioned he only played 67 games, which I think could actually be higher this season. He's not a super durable guy, but he's kind of alternated mid-70s and high 60s in games played. So let's put him in the low 70s this year. Let's say 70 to 72. Even if we get aggressive with how we drop him back on a per-game basis, let's still say he's inside the top 35 per game. Well, he's not going to fall that far. At 72 to 70, whatever we said, 72 games, that actually puts him a tiny bit higher, and that makes him about a top 30 guy going at 45. Of those guys in that grouping so far, Conley, Porter, Capella, I think I'd probably go Porter first because, well, you guys know how I like drafting my teams. Ultra-low turnovers, good percentages, stuff like that, and Capella does hurt you in free throw percent. Uh, Conley would probably be my second choice because point guards, they do have some issues this year and then Capella, but I'll happily put all three of those guys on my team. I got no problem with it. Hey, almost forgot to remind you guys here between, uh, names on the D bombs. We talked about it on our Friday show with Brewski, but a brand new hoop ball newsletter is being introduced for this season. This is something we haven't done before. And this is the most exciting part. It will have content from Aaron Bruski you cannot get anywhere else. So it is an email-only, email-exclusive articles from Brew. I need to stress how important this is. He is not writing it for the website. He's not doing it on a show. It's not something you have to buy. It is an email newsletter with content from our founder, Aaron Bruski, you know, fantasy award winner, the guy. It's not some, it's not somebody dressed as Aaron. And it's only available in the Hoopball newsletter this year. So if you want to sign up, we've been tweeting the links out over the last uh, three or four days. You can find them pretty easily through at Aaron Bruski, at Hoopball Fantasy, at Dan Bespris, at Hoopball Tweets. Any of those spots works totally fine. It's not an easy link to type out, so I can't give it to you over the podcast, but just please do find it on Twitter. Uh, I'll try to get it in the HoopBall forums as well, just places where you guys can see it. Very simple. All we need is an email address and a first name. It, you can do it on this website. It'll take you eight seconds 
if you type fast, 12 if you type kind of slowly. Easy. So get on the newsletter. That'll be coming out more than likely weekly during the season. Uh, he put out a welcome note over the weekend, so if you signed up early, you got to see that. Um, and then hopefully we'll get another one here before the season starts. But once the season gets going, it's going to be uh, notes directly from our founder straight to your inbox. No other way you can get it. Again, so please do sign up for that. Um, follow us all on Twitter. That's the way to do it. Or again, if you if you got a question, you can hit me in the Hoopball forums. I'm sure I'll find it over there as well. Next name on the list is one you guys all knew was coming, and he is likely the grand pooba of the Dan Bespris old man squad list, so no need to build up the name, and that's LaMarcus Aldridge. His ADP is 45.1, which I swear to good Lord, no matter how much we talk about him on this podcast, he's not budging an inch. What was his ADP before, like 46? Is he up like 0.9 slots? Nobody wants him. What's that? There's an old song. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll eat some worms. I feel like that's what we're looking at here with LaMarcus Aldridge. This is a guy who came into the league in 2006. And here we are 13 years later. Aside from his rookie season, he's been between 17 and a half and basically 23 and a half points every single year. A dozen seasons we've been doing this. He is remarkably durable. He is only one season in his career where he was actually really bashed up. He had a season, and I, I, this one sticks out of my mind. It's unbelievable, where he ripped a tendon in his wrist. He was announced he was undergoing surgery, and then he was like, nope, I think I'll just play. I think I'll just play hurt. We're going to try to win this thing with the Blazers. I don't care about my future. What kind of guys do that anymore in the NBA? Nobody. He was like, screw my future. I'm going to play this year with my busted up hand, and we're going to see what we can do. He's done the same thing in San Antonio. He's been with the Spurs now for four seasons, and he's played 30, 32, 33, and 33 minutes per game. 74, 72, 75, and 81 games over those four years. They've kept him healthy with a rest day here and there. He's been able to play in all of his other games. He only missed one game this year. And the Spurs, because they kind of suck now compared to some of the top teams in the West, they're very much a bubble team in the Western Conference. They need their best guys on the floor. So they can't afford to rest him for 10 games. They can only give him probably two or three legitimate load management days. It's going to have to come against some real clunker teams, probably at home, where they know they can win anyway. But otherwise, he's going to be on the floor. Last year, LaMarcus Aldridge averaged 21-9, 1.3 blocks, still right there. That was actually, amazingly, that was a career high last year, blocks per game and over the course of a season. Half a steal, uh, two and a half assists, he'll be in that neighborhood. High volume, great free throw shooter from a center position. 85% on five per game, that's amazing. Doesn't shoot any threes, but pff, who cares? And he's around 50% from the field for his career. Because the Spurs sort of let him be him. Took 16 shots a game last year. What's changed for the Spurs season over season? Not much. DeJounte Murray's back. He's not a high-volume guy, though. And then otherwise, the pecking order remains the same. DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge are going to take most of the shots. You're going to see a smattering to guys like Marco Bellinelli off the bench and Rudy Gay off the bench and Trey Lyles and whoever. It doesn't matter how these guys get on the floor and Derek White, but they're not pushing the one and two guys off of their perches. For at least one more year, this is an old man's team. LaMarcus and DeMar. 
We of multiple capital letters in our first names, Lamarcus and Damar, they're carrying the torch. Actually, Damar's got that in his last name, too. Uh, there's no reason to think that their values change very much. I know he's getting older, but he's coming off maybe the best season of his career. Maybe you wipe out, like, the 2013 season in Portland? Last season was really good with the Spurs. Even if it comes down a little bit. I mean, let's just say, for argument's sake, he comes off of last year's perch. He's not going to drop as far as he was three seasons back when he was depressed in San Antonio when it wasn't his team. He and DeMar coexisted totally fine last year. So, now let's turn it over to the rankings to do the discussion. Last season, LaMarcus Aldridge was number 25 on a per-game basis and durable. 25 per game, 81 games. He was number 16 by totals last season. That matters. That matters, especially in head-to-head. You want a guy who's playing for you. They're going to be fighting for a playoff spot. He's durable. He's predictable. He's great with percentages. He's just old. That's the only thing he's got going against him right now. He's just old. And so LaMarcus Aldridge, who's getting drafted at 45, has top 25 potential this year. Not that hard, actually, to see a path to LaMarcus getting inside the top 25. Which makes him... Yes, maybe Chris Paul has the bigger value jump if he goes from late 30s to 20. Because we've already talked about what value that means. That's like two-tenths of a point. And from you know 45 to 25 is more like one and a half, 15 hundredths of a point. So it's not that big of a jump in comparison, I guess. But from a safety standpoint, LaMarcus Aldridge... Might very well be my favorite D-bomb ever. There's always ways that things don't pan out. If he gets badly hurt, misses 20 games, obviously, doesn't pan out. But you can make that argument for every single person on the board. And for some of them, the odds of that are more likely. Chris Paul, for instance, more likely to miss 20 games this year than LaMarcus Aldridge just because of what we know about these guys. Aldridge is just crazy durable. Has been throughout his entire career. Everybody has that season where it all comes apart. Was that last year for LeBron James? We hope not as Laker fans. But maybe, and maybe it'll be that this year for LaMarcus. But I'm not willing to bet against him. Don't chase. At that point, you're just trying to be the smartest guy in the room. Why not just be a smart guy in the room and say, well, this guy's been good for 13 years. I see no reason why he wouldn't be good for another one. First and 10, do it again. I love this one. You guys know that. I have not made that a secret over the entire offseason, and I, nothing has changed. My whole, the whole offseason, I just kept watching his ADP thinking, when is this is going to jump into the late 30s? When is he going to make that like five-slot leap that makes this a harder play for me? And it hasn't happened yet. So then the question becomes, when the hell do you take him? Because if you're me and you're thinking, well, this guy could actually be inside the top 25, do I go nuts and take him in the third? Well, eh, I don't know. Depends where you are in the third. Are you the 11th pick? Because then you got pick 35. But that means you also have a pick three later. You know, you're starting off the fourth, basically. You pick 38. So you can take him at either one of those spots. 
Uh, what if you're at the beginning of the third round? You're picked like 26? No, you're not taking LaMarcus then. But you also don't have a pick coming back to you until 46, 47. In that range, he might be gone. It's one reason to kind of like the middle of rounds. You can play this game of who's getting back to you. And there's so many dudes in that 44, 45 ADP range that we just rattled off that could all make a case to be on your team earlier. Hey, guys, wanted to remind you once again that recruiting continues here at HoopBall. Blurb shifts. We'd love to get you into the mix, especially if you have weird availability, meaning maybe you don't work a 9-to-5, or maybe you're in a different area code, or a zip code, or time zone. I can do this. (laughs) What an idiot. Uh, Maybe you live across the globe, which would make it a lot easier for you. Maybe Maybe your daytime is our nighttime. That's a wonderful thing to do. Maybe your nighttime is our daytime. Maybe we're all at work and you're not. So hit us up at Dan Vespers if you want to come in and get involved on that side. Uh, We're looking for fantasy writers. We are also looking for folks that can do other stuff. If you're into podcasting, let me know. If you want to get involved on that side of things, broadcasting side. If you're into the tech side, let me know. If you can do something involved in marketing or graphic design or I don't know, the list is... Endless of things that you could contribute here at HoopBall as we continue to grow. At Dan Bespris, or if you can't spell my last name, as we just mentioned, Dan HoopBall. Google Dan HoopBall, and you can find out how to spell my last name. You can find me that way as well. So please do hit me up if you're interested in getting involved. Uh, A few of you have continued to do so over the last few days, and uh, we'll work this thing through. The recruiting goes on forever. This is just a pretty nice part of the year where a lot of you are listening to the show for the first time, and, and so it's kind of cool to, to reach out to folks. Uh, also, please do, if you enjoy the pod, rate and review. We'd love those five-star reviews on iTunes. Uh, I read all of them. If you have constructive feedback, please do let me know on Twitter as well. One more player, and then we're going to put a pin in today with an ADP of 52.5. Not that old of a guy. It's sort of the uh, Clint Capella syndrome here where he's still only like 26, 27 years old. I think Capella's only 25. But he's been in the NBA for a while now. Came in in 2011 as a 19-year-old. And he's just slowly churned his way through one, two, three, four, five different teams but finally got himself a big fat contract this offseason and has a really defined and straightforward role and that is Tobias Harris. Who, by the way, I don't think finishes as high as he did last year. I do think that there's a little bit of a drop-off here. He was number 20 by totals last season, but he also played in all 82 games. So I don't know that you can necessarily bank on that, similar to the, the stuff we were talking about with LaMarcus Aldridge. The difference between LaMarcus Aldridge and Tobias Harris is that, one, Aldridge, his role doesn't change at all. Tobias... His role did decrease when he joined the 76ers. His numbers from last year with the Clippers, he took 15 and a half shots per game and shot 50% on them, which is freaking crazy. With the Sixers, he took 14.8 shots per game and shot 47% on those. So why don't we assume we keep that number intact? Although again, no Jimmy Butler. So yeah, a little bit more wiggle room on the field goal attempts portion of this proceedings he shot 88 percent at the free throw line with the clippers and 84 with the sixers he's a career 82 percent foul shooter 
I'm willing to make a bet that he can keep it near 84. Average eight rebounds a game with both places. Actually, a very good rebounding small forward type, so I don't know that we make a big adjustment to that. Doesn't do much on the defensive end, so let's leave that mostly intact as well. He'll get his two to three assists per game just from being on the floor for 30-something minutes a night. Uh, and he'll probably, I would think, see the scoring number come back up just a little bit. It was 21 with the Clippers. It was 18 with the Sixers. It'll probably be somewhere in between those two. Again, the Jimmy Butler effect. Removing an alpha, even if Josh Richardson is in town, there's just a little bit more for Tobias Harris. There's a little bit more. No J.J. Redick there either. Um, yeah, Embiid's going to get a lot of that. Ben Simmons will get a little bit of that. But Simmons is really more of a pass-first guy. Anyway, Al Horford, pass-first guy. I think you're going to see Tobias get plenty of volume to get where he needs in that department. But even if things come down a little bit uh, from his Clippers numbers last year and are closer to the Philadelphia numbers last year, you're still talking about a top 35 guy on a per-game basis who has a lot of durability in his tank. It's hard to see because uh, he's been traded so often. But last year, he played all 82 games. Actually, it's kind of remarkable. Traded all-star break, so he didn't have to miss any games. The previous year, he split the year between Detroit and the Clippers and played in 80 games. The year before that, 82 split the previous year between Detroit and Orlando and played in 76 games. I mean, this is amazing. This is with mid-season trades happening. He's still getting to 76 and 80 and 82 games a year. Uh, and then you got to go all the way back to 2014 to find a season where he wasn't hyper-durable, and he played in 68 games that year. So this is a guy who's going to be on the floor for you. Uh, his game is, it translates well, good percentages, not much on the defensive side, which is a little bit of a pisser, but if you've built a team that has some steals and blocks, or if you're eyeing a guy like, I don't know, Brooke Lopez later on to grab some blocks in the mid-rounds, this is an easy pick to make. To me, uh, there's a lot of buzz around Buddy Heald right now, and he's going at 39. I think you could get Tobias Harris here, as we just talked about, uh, 13 slots deeper, and their numbers are not going to be that far off from one another. You're going to see Tobias with around two three-pointers a game. You'll probably see Heald up closer to three at three and a half. But from a scoring standpoint, they'll be close, both around 20. Uh... Tobias is going to out-rebound him. He was at 8, remember, last year. Heald was at 5. Um, again, neither one of those guys does much on the defensive end. Heald better from the foul line. Tobias probably better from the field. And it levels off. And last year, their per game, they were within five slots of one another. So I think that's going to hold. I think they'll be probably really tight. And one of those guys, you can get a full round later. So um, just, again, kind of looking for bargains here. I, I like both of them, by the way. But... Tobias Harris I like just because of where you can get him. 52.5, the ADP, I think he does finish right around number 30. So that's almost two rounds of value there uh, that you're chewing up with a guy you're grabbing in the early part of the fifth round. So that's a big-time win. And that's a half dozen D-bombs here to get this thing rolling. Don't worry, guys. I have plenty more. As we get later, I think the explanations will probably get a little bit shorter but don't be surprised if these guys go a little bit earlier than their ADPs are indicating because I think what you've seen is sort of the, the pendulum swinging. What you're also seeing now as a final point before we sign off for the day, preseason games, because these guys are older and not playing as much, 
the buzz is actually going elsewhere, which is kind of cool. We had this weird offseason where there was a ton of buzz around the draft, and then it bounced back the other way where you started to see some of these old guys getting a little more attention is like, wait a minute, they're falling way too far. And now we're seeing the preseason where the young guys are going bananas. The old guys are like, yeah, I just, I really got to shake the rust off. They're not doing much of anything outside of Steph Curry going crazy one night. Uh, And so people are like, yeah, whatever, you know, not paying attention to these old guys again. And so they're settling back into a spot where we can nab them. Not aggressive. You guys know that about me. These are not aggressive picks. These are not young guys with massive upside. These are old guys that I think can outperform their ADP by a round or more. And they're still relatively early. So it's a nice spot to just load up on safe, sometimes durable, not always Chris Paul, guys in the early rounds that can buttress your team for whatever the hell you want to do from round six on. And that is your Monday edition of Fantasy NBA Today. I hope you enjoyed day one of the D-Bombs. We've got more for you coming up. We'll also talk to Neil Rochelani tomorrow about the last couple of betting futures. Want to cover those before the season kicks off. Eight days away, ladies and gentlemen. Again, rate and review the pod if you're enjoying what you're hearing. I hope you are. At Dan Bespris on Twitter. Have a marvelous Monday. I will talk to you guys tomorrow. The Roll on. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.